On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues and the Constitution. And uh, we are recording this live, and as we're getting started, we're a few minutes late because there is just so much... uh, going on that we want to discuss in today's news and uh, so Professor Wilson and I were uh, talking and I keep forgetting that we're going to start launching into discussion and if I don't click this record button all of you aren't going to get to hear this so it's good stuff everyone and I'm so glad you're here and welcome to the show Woody. Thank you Felice, honored to be here. Yeah, we have a lot a lot going on and um and so I get the show notes and I get excited about it and want to get started and and so if you want a copy of the show notes, uh, we are uh, currently uh podcasting uh session number 36. So I'm going to be um adding numbers to all of our podcasts so that you can easily reference and find them. Because uh, often I'm telling you to to find a topic or a name of a show, and it makes it more difficult. So uh, this is episode number 36, and you can easily uh, find that. And we're going to be discussing a lot of things, uh, such as um, you know what he's going to review capitalism in the free market, and also spend some time on the caliphate, uh, which you know is probably going to be a lot of what we discuss today. So Woody, are you ready to get at it? Yes, let's get with it. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, we could expand this show to five hours easily. There are so many things to talk about. But last time we did talk about (laughs) probably the most important thing in any nation state is its economy. It's how people live. It's opportunity. It's whether you can feed your children. It's whether you can look look forward to the future. The economy does that. Uh, the, so the economic system is, is to me, paramount uh, in determining the fortunes of any given peoples. Uh, last week we um, looked very briefly at the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, gives Congress the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states. That's interstate commerce. The president is given no powers except insofar as he must faithfully execute the laws that are passed by Congress. So the president doesn't is really stepping outside of the Constitution when he, mm-hmm. for example, issues an executive order uh, that has economic uh, bearing. So that's the Constitution. But as you have seen already, we don't always stick to the Constitution. 
sometimes we step outside because a president um, has a great sense of narcissism and power. And other times we step outside uh, the Constitution because the Constitution didn't provide for everything. They could not have. Uh, clear back in the 1780s, could they have predicted the kinds of things that we're, we're dealing with today or even in the early 20th century? So uh, nonetheless, um, the Constitution does give us strictures uh, to keep the economy in the capitalist sphere. Now, there are really two types of economic systems in the world today, capitalism, which is very minor. You, uh, very few countries are capitalist. The United States, of course, is the great capitalist. Most of the countries in the world are socialist or communist. And capitalism, it's basically government, keep your hands off the economy, regulate, yeah, a little bit, tax, yeah, a little bit, but basically leave the economy alone, let businesses do their thing, let the consumers do their thing, and uh, watch it grow by leaps and bounds. Socialism, communism are proven failures. All you've got to do is go to the CIA report that gives you all the economic statistics that you could possibly digest in about two years' time and examine the state of economic growth and vibrancy in those European countries especially. Um, socialism, communism do give a great deal of power to a few people who are in the government, uh, but it doesn't give you that robust economic growth and employment opportunities that you have here in America in a capitalist system. Capitalism, um, we like competition. We want there to be a lot of companies making automobiles or toothbrushes. We want them to compete with each other, and that means that you and I get a good price for a quality product. Uh, they, have, they have to do that. Uh, to get our dollars. So competition is very important. Socialism suppresses competition, and therefore um, they don't uh, live as well in terms of product as, as we do. Also, we talked about the uh, so-called economic recovery. Some aspects of the economy do seem to be recovering um, or at least experienced at least a blip of recovery in the third quarter of 2014. That's all we really have to go on. Uh, there have been some surges um, in manufacturing. There have, has been a surge in uh, new jobs, although that did flatline. Uh, but nonetheless, we are still in economic recovery. The economy has not recovered. Back to the point it was in when George Bush was president in 2007, before the financial collapse. Uh, this is the longest economic recovery, except for the Great Depression, in United States history. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have a president who basically seems to subscribe to socialist economic practice. And with a, with a friendly Congress, uh, he passed these stimulus bills that were, in, in words, were to stimulate the economy, but which in fact did not. Same thing that Roosevelt did in 1932 at the Great Depression. It's uh, called Keynesian economics, named after John Maynard Keynes, the British economist that said, when your economy is, is bad, you need government stimulation. Government has the money to stimulate jobs and, and increase, and that's been proven false. It doesn't work. If, you want to, if the government can do anything to stimulate the economy, 
it's very simple. They can't do much at all because they don't have power over the economy in a capitalist system. But they can stimulate business growth in a very simple way, tax cuts to businesses and to consumers. If you cut my taxes, I've got more money to spend, and I will spend it, or I will invest it. I will put it someplace. That means that that the people who receive my dollars can expand and grow, uh, go to new markets, hire more people, and uh, the economy is, is just basically healthy and robust. The other thing that government can do, and you always see this when you get a new Republican president, you see deregulation. We take the chokeholds uh, choke off businesses, we take the chains off businesses, and we let them prosper and grow. That's capitalism. In the state of the recent uh, January State of the Union message, I heard the president say something about middle class economics, and now it's become a basically a, a a media volleyball. You hear it all the time, and this is brand new. I've never heard of middle class economics. I've heard of supply side economics, trickle down economics, communism, socialism, capitalism, but we've invented a new term here: middle class economics. And it basically means the president is going to give a lot of benefits to people in the middle class. Uh, he's talking about um, he can't do it, but and Congress won't do it. But nonetheless, he can talk about it in representing his party and his um, economic philosophy by tax breaks, tax credits, tax cuts to the middle class, increasing the minimum wage, free college, and those kinds of things. Um, possibly setting the stage for an economic debate uh, between the Democrat and the Republican in the 2016 presidential runoff. Uh, so we'll see if um, that is the path that they're taking. We also talked about Obama's uh, budget, his 2016 budget, not 15, 16. And it's basically uh, what Congress likes to say is DOA, dead on arrival. It will go no place. But again, setting the stage for 016 was a $2.4 trillion spending increase. My goodness. We haven't seen these. We never saw these numbers like this until Obama became president. We used to talk about billions and maybe a few hundred billions. Now we're talking about trillions. There would be a $2.1 trillion tax increase, and that will suppress economic growth. That's the opposite. If you want to stimulate a capitalist economy, you cut taxes. Uh, but I, I think Obama is a part of an agenda out there to basically continue to advance the cause of socialism and turn America into a European socialist state. I don't think um, that the American people will stand for that right now. Who knows what the future will bring? $2.1 trillion tax increase. And this will add to the current deficit $8.5 trillion the national debt. And folks, that is hanging over your head like the, like the proverbial Damocles sword. Uh, this is your debt. And someday we're going to have to pay the piper. Okay? So keep an eye on economic matters. You know, when, when you go to the news or, the news, or when you watch the news and a, a story comes on regarding the economics, focus on that. And maybe take notes on things you don't understand and and you could ask the questions in this show, or you could do your own research. Moving on, though, a, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of programs ago, we talked about uh, 
Obama's plan to give amnesty to about 5 million immigrants, and we said that 26 states had gotten together and filed a suit to block it, and they did. And a federal judge in Texas agreed and issued an injunction stopping that program altogether. Uh, so that program is dead for the moment. Uh, the president cannot go forth, and if you're watching the news, you listen to the White House uh, sort of whine and complain. Uh, they seem to be dejected. Um, mm -hmm. Nonetheless, the Attorney General of the United States and lawyers in the Department of Justice will file an appeal, and it will go to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, we've talked about this before. And pundits are out there right now. I just heard a debate this morning as to whether the Fifth Circuit will uphold the injunction or reverse it. Some think that the uh, Fifth Circuit will uphold. Some think that will will um, stop it altogether so the Obama administration can proceed with this clearly unconstitutional executive order. Um, if there are enough justices that really are concerned with the law and focus on the law and the Constitution, this one will go on to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, we and can talk about what the possibilities are there later. Yeah, I, I did hear uh, quite a bit in the news about this. Uh, on uh, Fox, one gentleman was brought in, but they really didn't let him talk. In fact, he got really frustrated. He said, well, I guess I'm not going to get to say anything. And, you know, because he, they, I don't know why they all do it. They have such propaganda that nobody wants. It was on um, the Hannity show last night. I was finishing up some stuff and listening late. And, um, you know, nobody wants to hear what what we all know is, is just fluff. And I think that's why they kept, you know, in, interrupting him because he kept saying, well, all I did was read through the first 50 pages. And he said that about five times. And, you know, it's it's not my fault he only read through the first 50 pages. Uh, you know, his point was that it was such a long, drawn-out thing. Um, but, you know, they kept saying, well, the president is, you know, rewriting, not just rewriting the laws, he's starting from scratch. And, of yes. course, you know, he didn't um, have anything to say to that. I mean, it's not just that it's unconstitutional. It's that he kept saying that he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. And then it was like he just not only totally disregarded the Constitution, but just made up his own law. And so um, I can't imagine how they wouldn't uh, continue to up uphold this um, you know, injunction against it, Woody, uh, being that that's the case. Um, so, you know, the legalities are confusing to me. Um, so what exactly, they're, they're blocking this, um, but what exactly are they asking for in this, you know, this appeal? They're just asking for it to be totally well, The Department of out? Justice? No, the... Department the, of Justice? Right. I'm not sure what your question is. So it's, not what the, it's not what the Department of Justice is doing. They're going to fight to continue on with, you know, what Obama wants, the, with amnesty. the amnesty program, right? But what they were saying in the in the news, um, you know, on on Fox, that it wasn't just giving people amnesty; it was giving them citizenship, it was giving them jobs, and you know, it was going beyond any of the scope of the powers that the president has. So exactly. my question, this is, yeah, 
So my question is, is, what is this lawsuit blocking? Is it is it blocking the whole amnesty thing that yes, Obama? Yes, that's all. It, okay. it, it's blocking okay. the executive order okay. uh, that established right. the amnesty program and, and every everything in it. And and this um this this executive order is clearly new law, clearly. Uh, no, we've passed a lot of laws regarding immigration uh, from the very beginning, going all the way back to the John Adams administration in 1796. And we've dealt with uh, immigration ever since. We are a nation of immigrants. All of us have ancestors right. that came here from other countries, and we've always had to tailor the law to the times and to what's going on. Uh, is a world war going on, or is there a depression going on, or uh, do we have jobs for immigrants? You know those kinds of things, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, there there is no time in the history that we've just given blanket amnesty to millions of people who have come here illegally. That has never been done. Congress has never written such law. So this is new law, and if the vote on the United States Supreme Court is not nine to zero. Well, I've got to tell you, there's something rotten in Denmark. Um, mm. This this is clearly a violation of the Constitution. And if we have judges that are so far to the left that they can no longer say that their decisions are based on the Constitution, then we've got a real problem if we can't even count on the judicial system. Now, the White House and Congress are just full of professional politicians. And as you alluded to a moment ago, my gosh, it's just really, you've got to read between the lines and, or, and behind the lines. You know, what are, the, what are these guys saying? Why are, they, why are they saying it? And can we believe them? And then you mix that in with this huge, uh, sensational media system that we have got going. It's just really hard to believe and understand. Um, the great truths about the Constitution, about law, about the making of the law, the adjudication of law, um, it just becomes mixed up, and it's almost like a free-for-all chaos. There's no longer any guiding light as there was uh, before the emergence of liberalism in the 1960s. There was the Constitution, and you know that, that there was the Christian church. Those were the great bulwarks of decision-making in our country. And now it's just, you know, this, this president clearly has no respect for the Constitution. It means nothing to him. Uh, his political objectives, his political goals, and however he ha- whatever he has to do to reach them is all that seems to matter. Has there and ever been a lawsuit to block an executive order? Not that I know of, but I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they could be found. Okay, because that would be interesting to look into, you know, because to me this seems so unprecedented, unprecedented because, um, you know, I think people, you know, there's been a lot of, and even the comments now in the chat room, you know, how does this president continue to get away with this and why isn't he, you know, no one's trying to impeach him. And we've discussed that briefly on the show before, but I think people are just so caught up and and set up with it and i'm on a mailing list and um uh but it's by the uh, aclj uh chief council and it's the um i can't remember what this little 
what it stands for. I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, um, you know, he sends out the political updates and so forth. And one of the things, uh, you know, he's saying is um, that, you know, it's, it's temporarily blocking this, but he said uh, the brief represents more than 70,000 Americans, 68 members in, of Congress. So it's not just, you know, um, out there. It's something that a big group of people gave thought to and signed, you know, um, their name somewhere to be counted. And to me, that's, that speaks uh, volumes that everybody is just tired of. Yeah, here it is, the American Center of Law and Justice in Washington, D.C. That's the mailing list I'm on that got, you know, that gets, sends uh, the emails and, and so forth. And, you know, it says you can even sign the brief. Um, and I don't know, you know, I know signing things online is not as effective as calling or sending a letter. Um, but yeah. but still still a good thing. So um, yeah, Woody, that would be interesting to to look into that, and maybe some of our listeners want to do that and report back. But um, good idea. so good idea. so so moving on um, with that, uh, you have some other points you want to hit upon. Yeah, just a couple very quickly. Um, it would be amusing if it weren't so uh, disgusting. But you know, every time a Republican uh, begins to shine and uh, people begin to say his his or her name and they're held up as a potential presidential candidate, um, the liberal media begin to attack that individual. They're especially severe and almost violent if it's a a black person or a female. Uh, they simply cannot stand any woman or any black person or even Hispanic to be conservative. The, they go after them ferociously, uh, like they did Sarah Palin, just constantly. They're still at it when she was a vice presidential candidate. They would uh, go to her home. They would go through her garbage. Uh, one reporter rented a house next door and took films uh, looking for anything dirt, anything controversial, uh, invaded her privacy uh, tremendously. Well, now the media has its knives out for Scott Walker a very successful conservative governor of Wisconsin, and uh, he seems to be um, uh, the rising star right now. Um, Jeb Bush has pr pretty much stagnated. Uh, Mitt Romney uh, dropped out. Chris Christie, Ron Paul, Ted Cruz, those uh, guys probably are not um, going to do well in the Republican primary. I hope they do well. Uh, but nonetheless, Scott Walker seems to be uh, rising towards the top. So uh, watch the news and watch what they say about Scott Walker, and they make fun of him. Uh, they try to convince you that he is stupid because he uh, dropped out of college, um, like Bill Gates did, by the way, and um, uh, went <laughs> to work in the workforce. I was going to say that way. I was yeah. going to say that way. <laughs> so just keep your eyes on that, and um, and like I said, it the media, these guys are so wrong. They are so um, tempted to say stupid. Um, I mean, how could a person sit in a news office and create this kind of junk when they know it's not true, or do they not know that it's not true? Um, mm -hmm. it, it, just, just watch that. It, it's an amazing thing. And I always think back to 
Walter Concrite and Huntley and Brinkley back when I was a kid and how they just came on and they were always so deadpan and serious and they told you what the news was and then they said goodnight. And they they were just so perfectly scientific and objective about the news. And the media today is just is just another arm of uh, political posturing. It's, it's so entertainment, Woody. It, the media today is entertainment. It is, um, you know, we've talked about that as well in other broadcasts about it being entertaining. It uh, looks at the ratings. It looks at what their commercial, um, you know, dollars are looking for in terms of numbers and so forth. Uh, so, unfortunately, it's across the board, and we understand that, you know, money does run in the networks, but sometimes it gets very frustrating uh, yeah. for all of us. And and I think that's why we're, you know, we're lucky now. We have online resources, and we have some really good uh, resources we can look at and, you know, find information on both sides, but at least we can skim through and read it without having to hear the posturing on either side, so... But I will keep my ears open uh, for Scott Walker and encourage our listeners to do that as well and uh, and see, you know, where that goes. Could be interesting, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, terrorism is back uh, or has really not left, but, um, you know, we, we continue to hear Obama's policy on terrorism, which isn't doesn't seem um, as interesting as... Uh, you know, to him anyway, on his agenda as some other things. And, you know, Woody, I was thinking back to um, a few years ago, and I I believe for one of the classes, it was at least three years ago, uh, the American history class that you taught uh, for a group Mm -hmm. of kids, uh, you did that live, and then also the the, uh, government and elections class. You kind of nailed it on the head back then, and, you know, I, I really would need to go through, well, one is 52 hours and the other one's 32, so <laughs> unless your notes are a little bit easier to access. But um, you made a comment then about, um, you know, the war in Iran, and, it, you know, we're taking all of our troops out um, and and I just heard a comment recently that said if we had had troops in place when ISIS started to rear its ugly head, it would have been short order to take care of them. And yeah, now, I don't I don't it, think ISIS would have even started had if we had had a if we left like fifty thousand troops there or twenty even twenty thousand. Because at that yeah. time when they first started, they they only had about five or uh, five or seven thousand. Uh, mm-hmm. When they came across the Iraqi border, they would have been easy, would have been easy to push them back across that border. Yeah, it was a, that right. was a huge mistake, and um, I'm sure that you, liberals you would disagree, that. and that's that's their right. But still, uh, mm-hmm. commanders on the ground uh, in Iraq were were telling the president, uh, "There's going to be chaos. There's going to be mass killings. Uh, we." Iraq is not ready for us to leave. Um, we've got to keep a residual force of some strength here to hold it together until balance is achieved. And, you know, this president was just deaf to those commanders on the ground. And, and uh, that pundit, whoever said that, is exactly right. Right. 
Well, Obama was elected initially upon ending the quote-unquote war, and you called it an occupation and not a war. Um, because you Well, the said, war was uh, over, well over. Right. My gosh, the war was right. over with in 2006. Right. I remember you saying that, too. You know, it, it was a very, because you went into what a definition of war is. And we had, um, you know, taken back that country, but now it was a matter of we were policing it and trying to get, you know, the community at large to um, take over. And that was the other, you know, and it is so hard, you know, it's a big question. Well, if we have an American presence there, you know, why would that country want to step up and, and take over when they don't have to and we're the big police nation? But now we can see that this is really um, – really pressing on us. And um, I love the show notes, uh, again, for you listening uh, that uh, want to access the show notes, it's look for episode 36. And Woody, you um, highlight here just quickly the last six years. So why don't you share that with us? Well, first of all, like you said, uh, terrorism is back in news uh, big time. Uh, ISIS, uh, Obama policy, um, those kinds of things, and it probably, you know, it keeps bouncing up and down. If you look at the ratings, if you look at what people are watching and you had a line graph, it would be going up and down like a roller coaster. Well, it's way up at the top right now. probably started with the burning uh, death of that Jor- Jordanian uh, pilot, uh, particularly gruesome, uh, even more gruesome than the beheadings uh, with a mm-hmm. knife, for crying out loud. And uh, then a couple of days ago we have 21 Coptic Christians murdered mm-hmm. in Egypt by ISIS personnel that came across the border from Libya where their training camps are. And by the way, these guys are spreading in spite of the bombing. Um, and they just murdered them on a beach with knives, you know, slowly cutting off their heads. And can you imagine? And then uh, we learned today that 45 Iraqis um, not sure who they are, security personnel, Kurdish fighters. Uh, 45 were murdered by burning yesterday. So mm-hmm. ISIS appears to be, they want to remain in the news. They want to be, uh, they want to have the attention. This is one, one um, reporter said it's almost as if that they are, it's a recruiting tactic. Uh, to get people, Muslims from all over the world, to rise up and support this great, strong, powerful new ISIS caliphate that is coming and is going to take back uh, the Levant for Muslims and drive out all the uh, uh, Europeans and North Americans and so on. It seems to be something like that. But it's an amazing thing. This is going on while we are bombing them, um, apparently not effective. And um, it's going on in front of the entire world while nobody is making a move to stop it because we know the bombing uh, simply isn't working. So so that's why it's back in the news. And uh, I suppose it will start to fade a little bit, and then ISIS will do something else. And, and um, we're gonna con- this is going to be a problem for a very long time, it appears, because this commander-in-chief is not interested in taking the action necessary to silence the guns of ISIS, mm-hmm. just not willing to do, lead the world in that well, effort. Interesting. And it's just an amazing yeah. thing to me because of 
you know, when I when I got out of high school, uh, my country needed me. Uh, I went to Vietnam to defend people, to protect people, and the people we that our troops were protecting in Iraq are now being murdered uh, by the thousands. That's what we did. That's what America did. I was so proud of America for defending the little guys. I am my brother's keeper, and it doesn't matter uh, whether they're American or um, Iraqi or Vietnamese. It doesn't matter. When very evil people like ISIS are murdering these people, little boys, little girls, raped, tortures, heads cut off, and put on stakes, you can't. Why is the world just standing here watching this? Why are we just sitting and watching this? Why isn't America? I think the rest of the world is waiting for America to take the lead, as we have since World War II. I mean, we're the great superpower. We can make things happen. France cannot. Great Britain, Germany, they can't do these things. Russia and China are not interested. We could, and we're not. And that's that's very, very uh, discouraging to me, very disappointing. It is. And and interestingly, um, again, um, I saw uh, on the Sean Hannity show on Fox uh, yesterday evening that he had um, a call out to uh, the entire Christian community. He had a, a pastor and he also had a priest on and he urged both of them to get the word out and basically was making an appeal to every, um, you know, he even said, secularist, if you care about this, you know, I don't care, just let's all unite, you know, whether you're uh, Jewish or, um, you know, whatever uh, denomination you are, it doesn't matter, that we need to tell everyone about these atrocities and demand that our president do something about it especially with the beheading of the Christians and the fact that, um, you know, this wasn't portrayed as um, these people were, they they said they were Egyptian, but they didn't say, you know, that they were Christians, you know, and Coptic is, uh, you know, Egyptian, but they were Christians. And uh, that part was downplayed. So that was interesting that, you know, he he was um, really urging the clergy to unite, and, uh, you know, of course, the two that were on the show, I wasn't familiar with either one of them, but they said, you know, they would definitely be be sharing that. Um, so it's interesting that it almost it seems, Woody, that we need a grassroots movement to urge our president to do something about these atrocities, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, i tell you the truth. I, I, uh, the guy came into office with this, attitude and i don't completely disagree with him um i I think what he is doing i'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt yeah Um, and and you're you're trying really hard i think better than i am (laughs) well Uh, i do try to be fair and he is after all the president um yeah but I, i think that his philosophy here is he doesn't want to use the word islam or muslim and because if he uses it and other people use it, and the media pick it up, then pretty soon you've got a religious war. You've got a holy war. And and, and the general bias, discrimination, prejudice, hatred uh, expands to right. 
Muslims who are very much peace-loving. So, you know, what do you do? Um, so I think he's trying to prevent that. And it's not, you know, I heard um, a pundit uh, today talking about this as a holy war. This is not a holy war. The 30, 45 Iraqis that were killed yesterday were Muslims. They were killed by other Muslims. Uh, most of the people that have been killed by ISIS are Muslims. Yes, they've killed Christians. They've killed Kurds. They've, they're, they're basically a fundamentally a, a, a Sunni, a radical extremist Sunni organization. They're killing Sunnis that are not mm-hmm. that won't bow down to them, and so on. So I, I think that's probably what the president's trying to do. Now I hear conservatives saying you can't fight an enemy if you don't name him, and that's not true at all. You can fight any enemy, even if you don't know who they are. Um, so, so I, I kind of I don't support the president on that, but I'm not going to criticize him for it because um, I'm not sure whether it's good policy or bad. Uh, nonetheless, so you've got to give him some benefit of the doubt. But as far as his um, behavior is concerned, uh, you've looked at the last six years. My goodness, I remember we started talking about leading from behind. Uh, which is mm-hmm. just basically a catchphrase for America's withdrawing uh, from world responsibility and leadership. So you get the Arab Spring, which breaks out in 2010. It's growing, growing, growing. Uh, it's been going on since then, uh, even worse today than it was then. You have the Benghazi attack uh, where they murder our, uh, four of Americans, including the ambassador, and burn down the embassy. His so-called red line, if the Syrians use chemical weapons, they'll be crossing the red line and America will take action. Well, they did, and we didn't. Um, Syria, an opportunity ignored uh, to to establish uh, another uh, free state, possibly. You've got Iran and nuclear weapons. They're building them. And um, the Obama administration is doing nothing to stop that. He called ISIS the JV team, which is kind of funny. Um, if it weren't so horrible. And, and while that's going on, you've got Russia uh, taking the Crimea, invading um, invading into the Ukraine, and where are they going to go next? So, you know, the world is basically, it's, uh, it's just getting really chaotic out there. Uh, the, boy, the guns are coming out, and people are taking territory, and it's just, I don't know, back to the late 19th and early 20th centuries almost, because America withdrew its leadership. And his policy is just being criticized even by his own people. His former uh, CIA director, Leon Panetta, has spoken out several times uh, criticizing his policy, as has Bob Gates, the uh, last Secretary of Defense. General Jack Keane, uh, four-star general, he was the vice chief, of staff of the United States Army um, has criticized the president. Uh, former lead uh, Middle East negotiator Dennis Ross, General Mike Flynn, a retired U.S. Army lieutenant general, who was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. And here's a quote from Flynn. He says, you cannot defeat an enemy you do not admit exists. How can you defeat an enemy if you don't identify them? So I'm not sure I would agree with that quote um, based on what I said earlier, 100%. I'm not sure that that's totally accurate, 
but there might be some truth to it. I, I think probably you could say that militarily you're going to be far more effective if you quantify, define your enemy and give them a name, you know, whether it's Nazi or communist or uh, fascist, you know, uh, and you've, you've got to identify who they are and who belongs to it. And, of course, there are many, many other people. You could make a very long list of people, uh, liberals and conservatives, that have criticized the president's policy on ISIS. We could go on and on and on. But right. the problem is, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, one of the comments here um, to another thing. But go ahead, go finish that, Woody, and then I'll bring you this. Well, I was getting to, uh, ready to go into the next uh, okay. section. All right. Um, one of the things uh, from Tara, uh, who is here with us today, so she said um, she was wondering why um, she did mention Mayberry versus Madison um, as one of the times that um, there was a, a, an issue over a president's um, executive action, but. Um, we'll go more into that next show, but one of the things she said that was interesting, I thought, was that, you know, she said, unfortunately, going to court gives more power to the courts. The power lies with the people and with Congress to not allow this. Um, we're going back to the executive order um, for, I didn't see this comment earlier, and I wanted to bring it up before we moved on too far. Uh, she said, um, they have other means by which to stop the president, the power of the purse, and impeachment come to mind, which impeachment, again, would take a while. Uh, the courts should be the last resort as deferring uh, to the courts gives them more power. Well, based on mm -hmm. where everything is right now, the courts are the last resort. Uh, the bill that was uh, came out of the House went to the Senate, and they cannot get the votes necessary to proceed. Uh, Democrats in the okay. Senate, uh, using cloture rule, have blocked it. It is going no place. Okay. And it was the bill to fund uh, um, Homeland Security, and it did take out funding uh, for the executive order's amnesty plan. So it is basically mm -hmm. dead on arrival. Um, people have chided Mitch uh, McConnell uh, to use the new, what's called the nuclear option to basically it takes a simple majority to end the cloture rule. So take it to the rules committee, say no cloture, simple majority vote as the Constitution prescribes for this one bill, and they've got, um, what, 54 Republicans. They could pass it easily. Harry Reid did the same thing just a couple of years ago in regards to presidential appointments to the judiciary. The Republicans were blocking it. They had enough uh, votes to, pre to prevent getting to the 60 for cloture to stop the filibuster and have a vote. So he just suspended it just for that one area of senatorial action, the confirmation mm -hmm. of judges. And then they got all the liberal judges uh, confirmed. Okay, Republicans are pressuring McConnell to do that just for the funding of Homeland Security. And McConnell so far refuses to take that step. So as of now, the courts are in fact the last resort. That's, that's how I see it. And of right. course, if, if I were speaking to somebody that had a different point, we would have a very interesting discussion about that. Right. Okay. But moving on, um, 
the thing that uh, really stunned me just a few days ago uh, is, you know, we are bombing France. I, I think France uh, stopped participating. I'm not sure. I haven't heard from uh, – there. Were, I think they had six fighters uh, not doing much. Um, Egypt, of course, has been bombing uh, ISIS in, uh, in Libya as a result of the, uh, the horrors of the uh, Coptic Christian uh, murders. Um, but I was stunned when I started researching and I found out that there are 12 countries where ISIS has already established a presence. In some cases, they've just begun. In other cases, they're very well organized, as in Libya, as we just saw with the Coptic Christians. So you have ISIS cells have been established in Syria and Iraq in the beginning, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Algeria, Libya, Yemen, Jordan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nigeria, Somalia. They are establishing a Muslim world caliphate. And they do not intend for their ISIS army in Iraq and Syria to become big and strong and powerful and sweep um, across the Levant like a, some kind of a red tide. They do not intend to do that. They're simply establishing themselves as a very serious power that's standing up to the great United States and, and still growing and expanding. Even while we're bombing them, they're growing and expanding. They just took a new city, al-Baghdadi. They came very, very close um, to killing 300 United States Marines at al-Assad. Um, in a suicide bomber attack, attack. Um, they, they are doing very well. They are growing, they're expanding, they're proliferating, and um, current po policy coming from this commander-in-chief simply is not working. Okay, so... Uh, we have this request from the President to Congress to authorize the use of military force. Uh, media calls it AUMF. Um, not sure that he actually needs it. He has one that's in effect from when Bush was President. But I suppose he wants his own. The problem is, as it, when it gets to Congress, that it's very vague and general and nonspecific language. Um, it has a three-year limit. And, uh, you know, when that was announced, when that went public, okay, we're going to uh, have this AUMF for three years. And uh, I guess it was either on Facebook or Twitter, ISIS responded by saying, yeah, great, we'll go with you for three years, let's fight. Um, and they they wow. made fun of it. They made wow. fun of it. Um, they made fun of this president. And also with this AUMF request, the language basically says um, – all necessary and appropriate steps will be taken to defeat the enemy. But it doesn't say at all what the necessary and appropriate steps are. It doesn't define what this president, this, what this commander-in-chief plans to do. It says it would impose a ban on enduring ground combat operations. Well, first, what does that mean? A ban on enduring ground combat operations? Does that mean no troops on the ground, or does that mean what's going on right now? It says it will not impose geographic restrictions. What 
geographic restrictions are you talking about? Are you saying that this is going to be one place, maybe northwest Iraq and no place else? So congressmen are just scratching their heads trying to figure out what this thing really means. So it may be there's going nowhere. And in the meantime, Democrats, both in and out, are worried that it, that it gives, the pression, gives the president too much discretion to use ground troops to fight an open-ended war if he decided to do that. And I think it's very clear several times that he is not going to send in ground troops, but he has often uh, said things like that. Um, like he said 22 times, his research has shown 22 times, he has said that he does not have the authority to grant amnesty to illegal immigrants. That was over the years, and then he does it. So liberals, Democrats are worried that he will send in ground troops and that this AUMF doesn't actually ban it. Republicans have the opposite concern, though, and they believe that the proposal's ban on enduring offensive ground operations is too restrictive. They want it to be open. It's okay, uh, like we did Lyndon Johnson um, or like we did George Herbert Walker Bush in Desert Storm. Um, we authorize the commander-in-chief to gun conduct operations to destroy this enemy or to wage this war. Um, so that's what basically conservatives want. And I like what George Herbert Walker Bush said. Um, I heard his speech, I think it was 1990. It was on the um, eve that we first began to bomb in Baghdad uh, with Operation Desert Storm. And he said in that speech that there will be no more Vietnams. We're going to go in quick and hard with everything we've got. We're going to destroy the enemy and we're going to get out. And that's exactly what we did. And that's what um, I think a lot of conservatives would like to see uh, in dealing with ISIS. If you destroy them in Iraq and, uh, and Syria, their expansion will be very easy to get under control. Then there are others that believe that a new, like I said, a new AUMF is not necessary. We've had this authorization, the War on Terror, established by the Bush administration and his Congress in 2002. So that is being bandied about in the media, and you'll have a sense of it when you get there. Now, finishing this up, in the last couple of weeks, we've heard some almost funny things come out of the mouth of the commander-in-chief. Um, one that just made made me jerk my head so hard I think I I might have injured one of those discs back there. Um, he said that <laughs> ISIS that ISIS is not Islamic. Wow, I don't think he knows what the acronym ISIS stands for. It stands for Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. And he's saying it's not Islamic. Al-Baghdadi, wow. their, their chief, has a Ph.D. in um, Muslim religion. I mean, he could be an imam, uh, the head of a mosque. These guys are definitely radical extremist Muslims. There's no question about it. And I, that's, you know, that's the problem that a lot of people have with the president not willing to say Islam or Muslim in regards to ISIS. Mm -hmm, He's just right. not willing to do that. He also said, I just really got a I had to laugh at this one. He said, ISIS is a media phenomenon because they overhype it. In other words, he's saying that ISIS wow. isn't really a problem. 
And another time he wow. said, um, I said, I've, since I'm paraphrasing, I'm like a big city mayor trying to stop crime. He doesn't. Yeah, I heard that one. If, if, if he's serious that about that one, Felice, he doesn't yeah, have a clue about what's going on over there. This yeah. is not a crime in New York City. This is a large and growing movement, military movement, army, well-funded, well-equipped. Uh, this is a war. This is not crime. This is war. And he won't use that word either. And then he did, you've, you've heard this one. He's comparing what ISIS is doing to what Christians have done in the past with the Crusades, with slavery, um, which seemed to be saying, I don't think he realized that he was actually saying what ISIS is doing is okay. It's perfectly understandable because Christians did it with the Inquisition, with the Crusades, with um, killing slaves uh, because they ran away and using the name of Christ, uh, misusing the name of Christ uh, to justify it. And he doesn't seem to understand that barbarity was common a thousand years ago and it's not common anymore. Uh, we've done a great deal to advance and spread human rights throughout the world. And we have are, you know, in, in, in a movement towards eliminating that kind of barbarity against mankind that, that we see throughout history, a very brutal history. It's an amazing thing comparing what ISIS is doing to what Christians have done in the past and without realizing it, saying without saying it, that the horrors that we're seeing from ISIS are understandable and almost acceptable. Then, of course, the Yemen embassy, he was, uh, had been bragging a few months ago about what a great triumph for American uh, foreign policy uh, this new Yemen government was. Well, that government was deposed and, and replaced by radical extremists and uh, the National Prayer uh, breakfast, uh, we find out that the embassy is closed. And they got out of there in a hurry, left the keys in the ignition of their automobiles, and left their weapons behind, although they did destroy them so that they're not usable. And then he says, and this one uh, probably is the one that lingers in my mind the longest, global warming is a greater threat than terrorism. Wow. And the problem there is that there is no global warming because of CO2 emissions. There is none. That has, myth has been debunked. I think a lot of people in the media and a lot of people in the uh, liberal environmental movement haven't gotten the message yet, but they will get it <laughs> sooner or later. Uh, that was a myth. But for the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief of all armed forces in the United States, to stand up and say that global warming is a greater threat than terrorism, basically tells me uh, that he is no longer a factor. Um, he is no longer has any credibility uh, whatsoever. Um, yeah. It, this morning, i got to tell you and Tara, this morning, I actually was thinking about what are the possibilities of impeachment. I didn't think about it very long because I know they don't have the votes, but wow, we've got all going almost two years to deal with this guy. And I have become, over the last a few months, I have, I have become, I wasn't before, but I have become anti-Obama. 
and I'm sorry to say that on on the air, but um, it's just the truth. I know and you I try really hard to be good. I know you do, Woody. You have freedom of speech, and that's the thing. You try really hard, and I, I know we both do because, um, you know, we want people to listen and to have discussion and to decide themselves, and we'll just present facts. But sometimes it's hard to stay impartial when so much like that is happening, especially that last statement. And uh, we do have uh, some questions here, um, so I'm going to ask you, and uh, we're not going to go to commercial today, so... I'll just uh, do a shout-out for uh, the, the uh, American history and the American government and um, elections class. Those are both available if you want to check them out at MediaAngels.com. Uh, go to the link for online classes, and you can find out more information about that um, because I want to uh, take some of these questions here. And uh, one of them says, um, has Obama's new spending limit for this year been approved um, or not? Yes. So, Except okay. for Homeland Security, uh, the 2015 budget is in place up to September, and that was done on December the 10th. Uh, we talked about that in a previous show. Um, they, the only thing that they didn't um, act on at that time uh, was uh, the Homeland Security, and that needs to be done by the end of February. And uh, we are getting close, and the media is starting to say, oh, they're going to close the government. They're not going to fund Homeland Security. Uh, they're just doing all this stuff. Ignore that. Ignore right. it. Ignore it. Um, they will fund Homeland Security, and Homeland Security will continue to operate uh, and uh, hopefully keep us safe. Right. And, that, and I guess that's what's so startling about all this is that our our safety is really in jeopardy, especially with all of these, you know, what they're calling the renegades. And I think that they're a very well-oiled machine and that, you know, that these so-called renegades or copycats or whatever are are very uh, clearly um, coached and educated yeah. on how to go about yeah. doing what they're doing because they've been very successful in their targeting. Um, here's, a, here's a good question. Um, uh, can't Congress overwrite Obama and, um, you know, create a petition to send the troops over to destroy ISIS? If uh, yeah. Congress had, uh, if, if if Republicans had two-thirds of the seats in both the House and the Senate, they could override the president. They could force him by overriding his veto. Uh, but, no, they cannot override the commander-in-chief. Without, they can pass legislation to that would call upon a strong uh, military operation um, against ISIS. They could do that, and the president would veto it. And if Congress could override that veto, then uh, you'd have another constitutional crisis. But I would think, I mean, you know, the Article Two is very clear: the president is the commander in chief. I think you'd right. have to remove him from office to do that. So I, that is an excellent question, and that's very good thinking. I mean, that's outside-the-box thinking to come up with that question. Uh, but I just, with the Constitution, Article 2 as it is, I just can't see that happening. And besides, Republicans do not have two-thirds of the seats in either house, so right. uh, that right. would go nowhere. All they can do is make a lot of noise and try to create as much pressure as possible. And by the way, 
one of the big campaign issues in 2016 is going to be foreign policy. And Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, is going to have a lot of problems with that one because she did not do a very good job at all, especially the Benghazi thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another question here, uh, there's talk about bringing back the draft. Do you think they will? No, I am absolutely certain that they will not. And frankly, I haven't heard any talk at all uh, in the media about uh, bringing back the draft. Okay. So, um, if you yeah, if you get if you find anything that you've read, just send the link to me. Um, yes, please. Send do. it to yeah, police at mediaangels.com. Oh, yeah, what do you like respond? To... Oh, yeah, and I'll send it to Lydia, of course. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I get things, and he and I go back and forth <laughs> yeah. with uh, sharing different things that he finds and that I find. So um, good stuff. Well, we are um, out of time, and I really appreciate uh, your time, Woody, for coming on and uh, and sharing all this good information with all of us. And uh, I'll keep those good questions coming. Uh, we appreciate that. For those of you that are listening in the archives, you can join us live. Uh, just go to Current Issues and the Constitution, all spelled out, uh, .com. And you can see our schedule there. Um, better yet, sign up for the weekly e-zine that goes out um, um, on the ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com website. And uh, I send out a list every week of all of the upcoming shows, and we let you know if they are live or they are pre-recorded. And even if they are um, pre-recorded, they go live at a particular time. So it has that information as well. And as always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and on Google Play and all over the place. So, uh, you know, we appreciate you joining us. So, all right, Woody, well, thank you. Stay warm. You've got a big snowstorm there as we're recording this in February. Uh, you had an un unprecedented uh, bunch of snow, didn't you? Yeah, no, no. We only had a few inches, but we've had, uh, like, tonight it's going to be minus 2 degrees. Tomorrow is 9 oh, degrees, is so we've had some really nice cold temperatures. It kills the larvae, and so we're not going to have uh, much of an insect problem in the spring, so that's all good. But, no, that's we've only good. had a couple of inches of, of snow. or Well, actually, we had four inches in the last two days, so that's not a lot. I mean, they're getting feet up north. so Yes, yes. So we that's haven't not, got it too bad. not normal for you guys to get a whole lot of it anyway. So. No, no, we All don't. right. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week. <laughs>